From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, January 21st. Companies have proposed a wave of glamping developments in Grand and San Juan counties. Will this lead to camping gentrification or increase access to the outdoors? KZMU's Justin Higginbottom reports on the benefits and potential costs of these upscale options. Many tourists that pass through Moab are looking to escape modern comforts. They gladly lose cell service in canyons and, in the desert, ignore pressures to shower daily. Many, but not all. A growing number of campers want it both ways, the outdoors and a soft bed. It's either people who have never camped before. We get a lot of people who've never been camping before. Love the idea of being outside, but don't love the idea of all the things that kind of goes along with camping. It's a lot of work and it's a lot of, you know, stuff that you have to have. That's Keisha Ute, who runs Glamping Canyonlands near Church Rock. And she's starting her second season this March. I mean, we're very small. I guess you can call it like a mom-pa type deal. Her company offers spacious bell tents with private decks and queen-size beds, all with canyon country in the background. She says COVID jump-started a rush to the outdoors, especially with new campers. For example, I went to a glamping show conference. (laughs) So that just shows you how big glamping is. I mean, there's a conference dedicated around it. I mean, just in our area, it's already expanding with a bunch popping up or planning to. And I don't think it's slowing down for sure. In San Juan County, there's newly approved White Rock Resort, a glamping site with around 80 units. Copa Consulting recently applied to build an eco-luxury hotel with 82 guest domes. And in Grand County, Entrada is looking to place 16 tents on a 544-acre property. Prices start at $2,000 per tent. Elaine Gisler is the Director of Economic Development in San Juan County. She welcomes the business. I think that the addition of the glamping gives us a sense of diversification when it comes to lodging. Grandview Research estimates the global glamping market at around $2 billion, and it's expected to grow at a rate of 14% annually in the next decade. Gisler sees some of that growth coming to her county. I think we're going to continue to see that segment of lodging grow. I think overall it is a win-win situation. You know, they just can't go and set up these sites. There's a lot of approval and checking prior with the county. Although developments haven't seemed like a win-win for everyone, area locals have petitioned against the glamping chain under canvas expanding on 220 acres near Looking Glass Rock. Critics worry it will limit access to popular rock climbing and strain the delicate environment. What it it does is it allows for short-sighted development to be encouraged and it introduces sprawl in our wild spaces that are finite. It allows for big money to exploit these wild spaces and turn a huge profit. That's Daly Heron, who started the petition against Under Canvas. She wants to see a glamping-specific ordinance. Grand County Commissioner Trish Hadeen says next month the commission will consider a new glamping category. Here's Hadeen. So basically right now within the ordinance is like a dude ranch. And so we want to try to kind of start to parse that out. What does that mean? And do we get into glamping specifically, educational facilities, wellness facilities? Can we kind of start to delineate those? 
In 2019, Garfield County passed a glamping ordinance concerning safety, density, and accessibility. Overall, there doesn't seem to be a lot of support for more overnight accommodations. It doesn't matter what they are. She says the county is shooting for a one-to-four ratio for long-term to short-term rentals. So we have to build about a thousand residences to pull off that one-to-four ratio. Meanwhile, Ute over at Glamping Canyonlands plans on expanding, slowly. Glamping prices can vary widely and be thousands of dollars per night. But her tents start at only 125. There's just my husband and I, so we're a very small operation. We kind of just had this idea and have just been slowly growing. So we're not big like other corporations or other companies that kind of throw all of the money and they can kind of start right away. We do it very bit by bit. So we're just having fun with it. That's all we want to do and have people enjoy what do we have out here. She hopes to see new campers this spring, many who are also slowly expanding into the outdoors. Justin Higginbottom for KZMU News. Mining has been an economic driver in our region since the late 1800s. But when a Southwest Colorado mine and power plant closed in 2017, a number of communities were forced to reimagine. Julia Caulfield, with our partners at KOTO, has more on the region's effort to create a new economic future. Walk into Wild Gals Market in Nucla, Colorado, and the store is bustling. Owner Galette Corngold is doing inventory when a member of the community busts through the door. She got her days mixed up and forgot people would be coming to her house for book club in a few short hours. She needs soup and bread. What? Wild Gals is a success story for the West End Economic Development Corporation, an organization supporting small businesses like Wild Gals Market and encouraging new industry and jobs in the area, something crucial since the closure of local mines. Nucla and Wild Gals sits in Colorado's West End, a collection of communities on the West Ends of Montrose and San Miguel counties in the southwest corner of the state, right on the Utah border. If you ask Dina Sheriff, the region has always been boom and bust. The people that came out here, if they were not the original homesteaders, they came out here as part of a mining operation or milling operation for uranium. And then when that kind of fell out of favor post-World War II, we saw a little bit of a bust then. Uranium came back a little bit in the early 80s, busted again in the 90s, and it's been very volatile since then. Sheriff is the executive director of the West End Economic Development Corporation, or WEEDSE. The last bust came when the New Horizon Mine and the Tri-State Power Generation Facility closed in 2017. It's been challenging when you have a community of less than a thousand people. You're talking 10% of your population was impacted by this. And that's just direct impact. That doesn't count the grocery stores and the gas stations and the hair salons and everything that were also impacted. According to Sheriff, about 60% of the mining workforce moved. Businesses on Main Street largely sat empty, but a group of locals in the West End did see the closure coming and created Weedsy, with the aim of helping new businesses and the region weather the storm. That's everything from how to set up your books, 
how to hire, do you need a personnel manual, where do you find employees. We really help them try and identify every piece of their business so that they can be successful. Sheriff says Weedsy focuses on three areas of business growth, entrepreneurship, value-added agriculture, and outdoor recreation and tourism. To date, Weedsy has worked with over 100 entrepreneurs in the area, with 36 of those turning into businesses. Galette Korngold, over at Wild Gals, was one of those entrepreneurs, although she didn't lose her job when the mine closed. Originally from Montreal, Canada, she and her husband moved into the area just before the pandemic and bought an old mechanic shop. And we had this great space at the front of the building, and I decided to open a food store. Wild Gals Market focuses on local, organic, and homemade goods from the region, with a selection of ingredients from the international market. We have elk and other game meats. Corngold says Weedsy was integral to developing the plan for Wild Gals. I took accounting classes and business mentoring from Weedsy, and because we don't have a commercial kitchen of our own yet, and we make a lot of homemade food, we use the kitchen at Wheatsea, and that's just been the greatest resource. The West End is shifting. New businesses are opening, and broadband across the region makes remote work easy, drawing workers from across the state and country looking for a rural life. Corngold says it's an exciting time to be in the area. I feel like we're at the beginning of a renaissance here, and it's really cool to be a part of it. The future of the region is still to be determined. But for Sheriff, she hopes the days of boom and bust are over. For her, it's all about steady, community-building growth over the long term. And Weedsy plans to be there every step of the way. For KOTO and the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Coalition, I'm Julia Caulfield. This story is part of a collaborative reporting project with Rocky Mountain Community Radio looking at fossil fuel transitions in the West. And now the Weekly News Reel, where we speak with reporters about their latest stories of the Moab area. A report on a 2019 domestic violence incident found that Moab City Police and Chief Brett Edge made several errors during an investigation into the case. This report was made after months of complaints from the victim and her attorney. This is one of several recent reports revealing errors at the Moab PD. The Times Independent's Doug McMurdo explains. There's been several investigations. Um, Most of them have been completed. Some of them have not. This specific one regards, uh, for the most part, Police Chief Brett Edge. I think it's safe to say that uh, he's embattled. Mm. I don't believe that's hyperbole. And in any event, um, it regards Jane May, a Castle Valley resident who, in September of 2019, a man, the father of her grandchild, had been drinking. And uh, he had a... A problem mm-hmm. with Jane May, and um, he wrote this eight-page murder-suicide note. It was headlined uh, or titled "Jane Must Die," mm-hmm. and he was on his way to her home with a handgun and 200 rounds of ammo when he crashed on Highway 128. Mm-hmm. Before he got there, his girlfriend called to say, "Hey, I just found this letter. 
Um, he's on his way to Castle Valley, and he's been drinking. Moab police and Grand County Sheriff's deputies responded. Uh, they were on their way to mm-hmm. Castle Valley when they came across the crash. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, they found the man, and he was arrested. So they never told her that she was almost a murder victim. You mean Jane May? Jane May. Yeah, yeah okay. Was never told until the next day her daughter told her. So this was in September of 2019. Uh, Miss May had made a, a lot of... Um, inquiries trying to get uh, this case done because she wanted protection Mm -hmm. against this man. She already had a protective order against him when this incident occurred. So, uh, and when the initial incident occurred, former Chief Winder put her and her her entire family in protective custody and put them in a safe house. Mm -hmm. That's how seriously that Jim Winder took it. Um, Brett Edge never even talked to her. So the, the, the significance being, you know, when this incident occurred, when this person was on their way to Casa Valley, um, there was already a protective order in place, um, which is quite serious. Correct. And, and the timeline is critical to this story mm-hmm. because the incident occurred uh, September 19th of 2019. Uh, frustrated, she filed a citizen's complaint mm-hmm. against Chief Edge and uh, regarding his demeanor, um, his unwillingness to, to do anything to help bolster her case against this guy. So the complaint was made in July of 2020. Mm. Here it is, January of 2022, and we're just now getting this report, and it's so insufficient that everyone who has reviewed it has called it essentially a draft. Mm. And they cannot get a hold of the investigator. Mm. And this is another important component of this story. They hired Travis Reese. Travis Reese uh, is or was a West Jordan police officer. But he's got a side gig. He's also a private investigator who works out of his home. And it is in that capacity that they hired him to investigate Chief Edge. It wasn't an agency assist like... Mm-hmm. All of these other investigations involving Moab police are being done by mm-hmm. the State Bureau of Investigation, Weber County Sheriff's Department, Price Police Department. Mm-hmm. This was a whole different animal. So this is Moab. This is the Moab City Police Department hiring the city of Moab. The city of Moab. Okay. Yes. The city of Moab contracting with this private investigator mm-hmm. to run this investigation. Yes. And you're saying this is not typical. This is not typical at all. Be that as it may, he did say that the investigation was inadequate. He said it was myopic at best. Mm -hmm. He said that there was no follow-up, that they broke the law when they failed to notify Jane May that she was targeted for murder by uh, someone who she had a protective order against. And Brett Edge, he just never, he, he refused to, to do his job, essentially, is, is what the investigator found. And uh, the important thing here is uh, Carly Castle is the acting city manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, in a letter to Jane May, um, it was a pretty heartfelt letter, mm-hmm. and it was comprehensive. Uh, she said that um, steps are going to be taken, new processes are going to be put in place, and, and key among those is the investigator's recommendation that they designate a police officer to specialize in domestic violence cases so mm-hmm. they can kind of like usher usher it through the system from from arrest to adjudication mm-hmm. and that way uh, victims rights are protected uh, just a better case all the way around mm-hmm. so they, they made a lot of mistakes all the way down the line but i think it was the um, 18 months between complaint being made and um, a sort of kind of resolution to it yeah uh, brett edge has never been interviewed 
This complaint is about him, and he's never been interviewed. So the person that they hired, the point is that, you know, typically in an IA, the person who the complaint is against would be interviewed. Right. And in this case, that didn't happen. Right. So I do want to mention that this is coming, this article in the Times Independent about the Jane May case and how the Moab Police Department was found to have made numerous mistakes within it is kind of coming on the heels of another report. Yes. That two officers made several, quote, unintentional mistakes during the Gabby Petito and Brian Laundrie incident. Yes. And in that case, also, um, the city and the police department said that they were going to take steps to hire a domestic violence expert or designate an officer to become a domestic violence expert. Yes. Anything to say there, you know, because these are two separate things, but they're about, you know, similar issues. For for me, um, the city council to a person was very supportive of the police. The uh, the mayor was very supportive. Mayor Niehaus was very supportive of the police. And there's nothing wrong with that. We should all support our police. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. But I'm saying if there's smoke, at least look for some fire. And the good news is, um, I don't know where the city council members stand on this, but clearly city administration is acknowledging we have a problem at the Moab Police Department. Mm. Regarding the Jane May investigation, Carly Castle, acting city manager, in, a, in that letter to uh, Jane May said, um, this investigation, the entire thing, mm-hmm. could have and should have been handled better. And that might be the understatement of uh, 2022. So thinking of yet another one, which also involved attorney Happy Morgan and a complaint of hers in a different case, complaining about body camera misuse. <laughs> At the Moab PD, too. Correct. There's multiple things happening here. There and is. you could argue um, that all of them directly reflect or link back to, you know, leadership. But this case that you've written about in the Times Independent this week definitely does. Do we know what's going to happen with uh, the chief's position? From what I understand, his time is up on the family medical leave mm-hmm. and has been for a while. According to Lisa Church, the city spokesperson, there's a process that you go through. Um, you don't just return to work as if nothing happened. I, there's a process. Okay. I think an assessment needs to be made. Where are you? How are you? Mm-hmm. That, that kind of thing. But I do know that they can't fire him because of FMLA protects him from that. So, And I'm not saying that that's even on anybody's radar. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but that's just a rule that they, they can um, reassign him to a different job but they cannot fire him because that would be seen as retaliatory is the reason behind that and that has nothing to do with anything except that um, firing him is not an option and you know carly castle like you said outlined um a feral response to jane may um but we just don't know what's going to happen with this personnel matter at this point we don't we don't know what's going to happen with him and we don't know what's going to happen with uh, former office manager kelly day Uh, who no longer is at the police department. She voluntarily uh, uh, stepped down from that position. The State Bureau of Investigation is looking into uh, actions that she might have taken regarding redacting images from body cameras. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, that that investigation is still out there. Two officers were found to make mistakes regarding the the stop of the Native American man at City Market last Mm -hmm. February. 
and um, the officers involved in the Gabby Petito, Brian Laundry stop, they made unintentional errors, glaring enough that, like I said, the city administration believes that steps need to be taken to better train officers. Mm-hmm. And a, a well-trained officer is an effective officer. So mm-hmm. I, I, I imagine that they would just love for Happy Morgan to resign, <laughs> retire, um, step down, win a billion dollars so she doesn't have to work anymore because she's been a thorn in their side for years. Mm-hmm. And my answer to that is play by the rules. Do what you're supposed to do. Do what the law says mm-hmm. what you're supposed to do. And do what your own policy says you're mm-hmm. supposed to do. And that's from the chief down. I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. You can be all about for the police and still call bad officers to account. It just stands to reason. I mean, mm-hmm. they're not above the law. Nobody mm-hmm. is. Well, thank you so much, Doug, for breaking that that coverage, especially the rundown of the all of the investigations that we've had lately. I know. I, I needed cue cards, I and know. I didn't have them. <laughs> Doug McMurdo, editor of The Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. Every January, service organizations across the country conduct a survey to find out how many people are spending the night without a home. The Homeless Point in Time count provides a snapshot of information and aims to reach people who need help. That count is just around the corner, and Allison Hartford of the Moab Sun News has more. So the goal of the Point in Time count is to conduct a survey to find out how many people are spending the night without a home on a certain date in January. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a snapshot of information to give these organizations that work with homelessness and outreach, um, it gives them like a little bit of data. Mm-hmm. So the main organizations in our community that do that are the Moab Valley Multicultural Center and Moab Solutions. So this count, which will happen on the 26th, it's important to get this data, obviously, just so that um, going into the new year, these organizations know kind of what they're working with. You said January 26th. Mm -hmm. Um, These organizations will go out over the following few days Mm -hmm. and connect with people who might have um, spent that night either outside or in a place that wasn't fit for human habitation. Right. Like a storage unit. Yeah. So it's like a literal count. Mm -hmm. Um, And Sarah Melnikoff said that they do a lot of this every day, working with um, individuals who are experiencing homelessness and also... um, she is encouraging people to like reach out if mm-hmm. they know someone who's in a temporary shelter or a situation not meant for human habitation um, to contact Moab Solutions. Mm-hmm. That's can be really helpful because oftentimes, you know, Sarah and other organizations like the Multicultural Center are pretty well connected with people who are experiencing homelessness or Mm -hmm. housing instability, but they can always miss people or they don't know everyone. Right. Especially if they're not sleeping outside. Yeah, exactly. Rihanna Medina said that data collected from July of 2019 to June 2021 showed that an average of 55 individuals were seeking homelessness services every month in Grand County. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. And last year, 30 people were counted in this point-in-time count survey, mm-hmm. which was an increase from previous years. Right. And I, I think last year, they did a little bit more of that outreach. They tried to get the word out that they are doing this count mm-hmm. um, to paint an accurate picture. I think that 55 number that about 55 people interact with homeless services or experiencing housing instability Mm -hmm. um, really tells you like how many 
people this is affecting here in Moab. Right, yeah. But the point in time count, again, I know is um, important because of funding as Mm -hmm. well. Did you talk a little bit about that? Numbers from the point in time count will help determine how much funding these local advocacy groups receive from the federal government. So it's super important. Mm -hmm. All right, let's move on. Tell me about Back of Beyond Books. Yeah, so Back of Beyond Books is kind of a staple in the Moab community, it feels like. And they're super well known for kind of like their Western section and especially with Edward Abbey. Mm-hmm. But the business is being sold. So the store owner, Andy Nettle, is selling the business. He is going to kind of create a new business um, called Stellar Books and Ephemera, focusing more on rare books and these antiquarian and rare materials. Um, But yeah, the business is being sold. And Andy said that he's looking for someone who can maintain the store's character. So Andy is getting the word out there that Back yes. Beyond Books is for sale. So is there a little bit of anxiety, though? Because this is a really important um, independent bookstore, not just for MOA, but also for our region. Right. I mean, Andy kind of said that the store has been doing really well. 2021 was the best year they ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's not as much worried anymore about the store continuing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think mostly his concern is just finding someone who is as devoted to it as he was Um, because he poured a lot into this and of course like the bookstore is really well ingrained in the community like Mm -hmm. you said they Mm -hmm. do a lot of events so I think it all comes down to finding someone who has those same values I guess. So they're looking for they're actively looking for a buyer Yes, they are actively looking for a buyer. Um, Andy said that anyone who's interested in purchasing the store, contact the broker. And he also asked that people refrain from asking store employees for details. (laughs) I'm sure that will still happen. (laughs) He basically just said that um, him and his wife are ready to step back from this storefront Mm -hmm. retail world. Mm -hmm. And he said he's been doing customer service for 38 years and he's introverted. So he said it's a struggle. (laughs) (laughs) So he's ready to step back into the ephemera, I guess, in the rare book world. World. Yes. Next up, there's a fun community story in the Moab Sun News about ice rinks in Moab. So, Moab is really well known for its summer season and spring and fall. Mm -hmm. Like, when you think of Moab, you think of rock climbing and hiking Mm -hmm. and canyoneering and all of these things that you can't really do in the winter. Um, And so, you know, some Moab locals will flock to skiing um, and others will just leave. But also, one of the things that you can do in winter is ice skating um and this is kind of organized by this guy named ian jewel um and he posts on the moab ice rink facebook page about kind of the status of the ice and where he's going to be um and typically he'll skate at ken's lake and he posts on the page with the hopes of getting people out to have fun and also for him with the hopes of organizing a hockey game hockey is like his huge passion he's been skating ever since he was a child and he grew up in philadelphia and his dad is from Canada. And when he told me this, he kind of said it as though, like, his dad being from Canada was the dead giveaway for why he played <laughs> hockey so <laughs> early on. But yeah, and he continued playing hockey through college. Um, and it's this kind of expertise that allows him to know how to test the ice. So he doesn't have any scientific way that he does it. He was telling me that 
you know, usually when you're an ice fisherman or something, you'll drill into the ice. And if it's like more than four inches, Mm -hmm. then they'll go out. But Jewel kind of more does it by feel. And he said he hates the idea of tarnishing or drilling into the ice because he loves those like smooth glassy surfaces Mm. so he'll step out on the frozen surface and tap his hockey stick on it and then he'll also skate around and thin ice when it's skated over will make this echoey laser-like noise Um, and you can kind of hear the cracking and so he said he mostly goes by sound like if there's no immediate sound of cracking He'll kind of skate around a couple laps, and then if it holds and it sounds all right, he'll post on the Facebook page that people should come out and skate. So, you know, I'm curious how this winter season has been. So um, last winter, he got in 74 days of skating. He went from like mid-October to mid-March, and he hopes to come close to that this year. So far, um, things are looking all right. Um, Ideal ice weather involves cold temperatures, obviously. Um, But a lake needs multiple nights with temperatures in the teens to freeze enough to be safe to skate on. Um, And it needs a cold day too. Like any, you know, any sunny day that's in like the 40s -hmm. will get really hot here, or at least when you're in direct sunlight. He said he never really goes by patterns or anything. He just kind of checks the weather. And then if it's been cold, he'll go out and check the lake. Oh, what an interesting guy. Remind <laughs> us of the Facebook group again. That he- yeah, so the Facebook page is called Moab Ice Rink. Okay, if I can squeeze it in, let's talk yeah. um Moab Community Dance Band. So the Moab Community Dance Band is a contraband that was formed in 2004 by Chris Lair, who is this acclaimed pipe soloist and flutist. And in 2004, he was the artist in residence for the Moab Music Festival. So while he was here, he started this band with a crew of local amateur musicians, um, including Miriam Graham, who I talked to for the story. Um, And when he eventually left Moab, the band continued. In the past, the band has performed concerts and hosted like free community dances, Mm -hmm. um, which is for contra dancing, which is a form of social folk dancing. And the music that they play is really lively, like Irish, Scottish music, Mm -hmm. um, typically anchored with like a fiddle. So I talked to Miriam and she said the band is still rehearsing, although in-person events are on pause due to COVID. But rehearsing brings the band members a ton of joy and they really enjoy each other's company and just playing music together. So currently the band is around seven people and it includes a guitar player, a fiddle player, Um, someone who plays the Irish drum Mm. um, and an oboe player. And Miriam Graham plays the Irish concertina, which is an instrument similar to a harmonica and an accordion. Mm. And she also plays the penny whistle. They're specifically looking for a piano player, Mm. but she said most instruments can um, fold into a contra band pretty easily. What's interesting about the Moab Community Dance Band is like you were saying, like they played these social events. You would just show up and then dance with people you didn't know and get really close to them. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) I don't know. Now that we have this COVID perspective, you know, Mm -hmm. who knows when that can happen again. But hopefully there's a brighter future ahead for us in the Community Dance Band. Right. So it sounds like they are looking for new members and they are rehearsing. Mm -hmm. And are they like waiting for a time when they can perform again it's kind of looking like it won't be for a while but yeah i mean the band 
like all the members just love playing music together. And in February, they're hosting Jeremiah McLean, who is a piano accordion player and a very experienced music teacher. Um, and he'll come and give lessons to band members. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Another reason to join. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're doing very tiny events with each other. Allison Hertford, staff writer at the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. And that's it for the weekly newsreel, where we speak with reporters about their latest stories of the Moab area. Find the pieces mentioned today in the show notes of our news at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. As always, thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU, community-powered radio.